All right, well, good morning, and if you have your Bibles uh, kind of in preparation here today, you can uh, have one thumb in Matthew 6, one in 2 Corinthians 8. Uh, as we get going, I want to do some prayer here, and uh, I wanted to update you. Just, it's been a rough month, a uh, few months, in a lot of ways, in different families. Uh, one of those would be the Fishers. <laughs> On Friday, his mom fell and broke her hip went into surgery yesterday, and so now they're going to have to move his father back into their home uh, with the hospice care, and he's bedridden, and we're just going week to week with him, and so, yeah, uh, they are not here today, but they do ask for your prayers, and the surgery went well yesterday, and so we're very thankful for that, but uh, it'll be a long recovery for sure, so yeah, keep praying for them, and Kara, thankfully, has recovered from her surgery as well doing pretty well so just uh think of it send them a text of encouragement and uh, lift up one another during this season as well and so i just wanted to go before the lord in prayer of this morning Uh, heavenly father we thank you for the opportunity to be in a community a family of god and i know there's so many things going on in our lives and the lives of those around us lord so we ask that you would uh, reach up and comfort us, Lord, and turn us towards you, and uh, be with the fishers, and uh, his mom's recovery, and the moving of his dad in the next few days, and all those details, and the stress that comes along with that, and, and Lord, we, um, we just put this season in your hands, and we ask that you would just stay close to our hearts as we get busy, and we move towards these things that can easily distract us from you, and from uh, the spirit of Christmas and the joy uh, that we're to have and to carry about as winsome followers of Christ in this hectic world. Amen. Well, uh, there's a dad, and uh, this, this dad went in, and, and uh, he had a big party going on in his house coming up uh, for Thanksgiving, and they didn't want to do a ton of cooking, and so he stopped at this little pie shop, and uh, he's going into the pie shop, and he was going to get probably about 10 to 12, at least a dozen pies. And so it was near the end of the day, and he just kind of picked out what he saw and had a list from everybody about what they wanted for Thanksgiving. So he got the pumpkins and the pecans, and then his eye caught a banana cream pie. It was the last one. That was his favorite. He thought, I'm going to get that. I deserve to get something for myself. I'm running all these errands. And so uh, he made his order, and as they were beginning to box up the pies, and he's waiting there to pay, uh, in walks a, a dad with his uh, two kids, and, and uh, they are cold and shivering, and then one of the kids came in, and uh, they just pushed their face up on that glass, and he saw the pies, and he pointed, he's like, that one, that's the one we need for our family, Dad, and it was that banana cream pie. Well, this man began to realize what was happening, and, and, uh, and so he turned around and he said, you know what, can I get that banana cream pie for you? Because they asked the little, the little boy who was pointing at it, and the man behind the counter said, you know what, that's already taken. And the boy's face just dropped, and that man said, you know what, you can have it. No way, and I would like to pay for it. And of course, the dad was like, no way, no way, we'll be fine. He's like, no, I insist. And he and he bought that pie and handed it to that boy, and the boy even opened it up, got a smell of it, and I think took a swip, swipe of the little white cream, whipped cream on the edge. He was so happy and filled with joy, and the man said, I left that store that day happier than I'd been in a while because I got to pass on that joy to that young man. 
don't know if you've seen on the internet um, or on different times um, where you've seen some of these things with doorbells, right? We've all got cameras now, <laughs> and they track everything from thieves to uh, different things. And uh, this week there was one that came out, and uh, a lady recorded uh, through her uh, camera, security camera, she, for the delivery man, left out a basket of treats with a note that said, thank you for making Christmas shopping easy. Here's some treats for you to take on your route today. And it recorded, and there's sound to it, and you can probably look it up. I couldn't get it loaded up for the service, but the guy was like, oh my goodness, this is so amazing. He was so joyful, and he even did a little dance on the way back to the car. He was so happy uh, that he got that surprise of, of somebody thinking about him. And we know that there are those who run up, and then they, they steal things off our doorsteps um, and take them away. And so... It can be pretty frustrating. And I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes being generous is hard. Because being generous doesn't always work out. In Texas, I'm pretty excited. We, we, we're a little outside of town, so we didn't get a lot of foot traffic for people coming in and asking for needs. But we would get some, and so we realized we need a benevolence policy, not only to, to handle people who walk in with needs, but also those in our own family, our own community. How do we serve them well? And we had gotten that together, and I'd been given a little freedom and kind of these parameters of how to bless people and serve them. And, and I got a call that was from a family in town, and, and they needed diapers and canned goods, some really specific things, and uh, got connected with them through somebody in ministry that I trusted. And so I was like, yes, this is the opportunity to live it out. And so I was able to do that, and I went and I bought the diapers and canned goods and got them all there, and we lived about half an hour from the store, and so this was like two, three hours ordeal there to get it out and then to go uh, find their home. And I knocked on the door, and I said, here you go. And I began to hand them the boxes of things. And they began to look through them, and the lady looked up, and she's like, what the bleep-de-bleep is this? This is the wrong brand of diapers. And she cursed me out. We can't, we prefer this brand, this can go. And I was like, in shock. And I said, bless you, and went to my car as quick as I could. And uh, I was angry. I was pretty angry. I was like, goodness gracious, is it even worth doing that? Have you ever felt that way or somebody just abused a gift you gave them or you see them run off and use it in a way, um, you know, or your attention or your influence or the kind gesture you're trying to give isn't accepted? Yeah, I can remember uh, these times and these moments when generosity feels sweet. In times when generosity goes wrong, when money is abused, uh, when attention is rejected, and uh, those moments and those responses cause our hearts to get a little bit colder, a little harder, our fists to get a little bit tighter, and us to be a little bit more hesitant to give the next time. And so we can often, in our minds, when we come to the next opportunity to give and to be generous with our lives and, and to share... We can come to it and we can say, you know what, they're going to use the gift in a way I didn't intend for it to be used. or They're just going to keep coming back for more and more. Or, you know, maybe they're just using me. And the reality is that we're dealing, as human beings, we're broken, we're dealing with broken people. 
And as we deal with broken people, we ourselves need to realize our brokenness. And not everyone's going to have good intentions. Not everyone's going to be honest or even grateful. I remember the story of Jesus with the ten lepers. And you know, lepers are the folks that you would, they, they had laws. You had to walk a certain distance on the opposite side of the road from people so they wouldn't get contaminated. You weren't allowed in most of the public places. You were untouchable, unlovable, really. And Jesus encountered 10 lepers. He said, go in, and and he gave them directions. And as they were walking and obeying his directions, heading in, I believe, to the temple, uh, they were being healed. And one of them, upon being completely healed, turned around, sprinted back, found Jesus, and fell at his feet, thanking him. And he said, I'm glad you're here. Where are the other nine? (laughs) There are people Jesus healed who, he, he said, I'm going to heal you, just, just do me one thing. Don't tell anyone about this. And then they go and they run and they tell everyone, causing more conflict between him and the religious leaders. And yet, that didn't stop him from reaching out and showing compassion, did it? No, he kept reaching out and showing compassion. He didn't quit doing miracles. Today, we're going to face some of the barriers to generosity Uh, barriers in our mind and with our money and with our attention. And uh, we're going to come to that challenge. And if you have Matthew 6, in Matthew 6, um, we're given the idea of where the thought of generosity begins to well up and where our minds need to be. Uh, In Matthew 6.33, we read this. Uh, We read that it is, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. That's what we are called to do. That's what Jesus points us to, is to think think Jesus first. Put Jesus at the center of our life. Put his priorities at the center of our life. Do we trust Jesus That's a tough question. (laughs) Um, You know, do we live moment by moment in trust of Jesus? If you look here in this passage of Scripture, um, some of your Bibles, uh, mine have headlines above the paragraphs, kind of tell you where it flows, but just look at the flow of this passage of Scripture here. We have um, the beginning of it's um, giving to the needy. And he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward for your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the needy, no need to sound a trumpet. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues, we don't need to go, Look at me, I'm generous. I'm giving to these people. Or brag and tell stories to others. It's, he says, you know, let your giving come from your heart and I will see it. God sees the generous, the generous acts that we do and the generosity um, that we attempt. And so then he moves on and he says, it's the Lord's Prayer. He says, when we pray, we don't need to be like the hypocrites. We don't need to let everyone know we're praying. We don't need to use puffed up words and old English and eloquent words to make ourselves sound more spiritual or look better than others. We just talk to God. And he gives us directions and how to talk 
to his heavenly Father. And uh, it's an amazing prayer he gives us. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he talks about this dependence of give us this day our daily bread. Depend on God. And then forgive us our debts. And then we're supposed to forgive others. We can't forgive others. Often that's going to be a big hindrance to our being generous. Then he talks about fasting. Fasting is a time where we uh, set aside uh, especially food and we concentrate and focus on getting closer to God in that personal, intimate relationship with God. And he talks about once again, apparently they would paint their faces white and they'd make sure that they looked like they were fasting. Oh, why are you tired today? Oh, I'm just being spiritual. <laughs> I'm giving up things for the Lord. You say, no, no, do that. I will see that. It's about drawing closer to the Lord and our relationship with him. And then he shifts and he says in verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. For those of you who are here at the beginning of the series, we were in Ecclesiastes, and he said, you know what? When you're done with life, everything goes back in the box. You can't take it with you in the game of life. And sometimes when you die, Solomon said, you have to leave a great inheritance to people who are fools, who didn't earn a lick of it. And you have to realize that all that's left is the fear of the Lord. So Jesus is saying here, lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust doesn't destroy and where thieves do not come to your porch and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. What do we value in life? Is it our possessions? Or is it following Christ and and living out his commandments and trusting in him for our daily bread? And then um, he talks about just our eyes and what we look at. and, uh, And then he says in verse 24, No one can serve two masters. Either will hate one and love the other, or will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And then he says, Therefore, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, your body, what you'll put on. It's not life more than food, your body more than clothing. He talks about the birds of the air and how he, he cares for all of nature and creation and how would he not care for us who are made in his own image. And so I lay all of this out because it's at the end of all of this that he says, seek first the kingdom of God. And then in verse 34, right after that, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Right? We figure that out each and every day, don't we? Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. All of this is saying, do you trust Jesus? Do you trust him with your time, your thoughts, your influence, your money, your possessions, and your attention? All of those are areas we said are contagious generosity. Those are ways we can give to others. We can give them our time, our money, our attention, our possession, our words, our influence. And yet so often we're held back because functionally we don't live as if we believe the gospel is true. And that Jesus did cover it all on the cross. And when Jesus promises all these things will be added unto you, 
It's not some equation in exchange for health and wealth and perfect living in this time. If you read throughout the scriptures, he's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, hope, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and trusting that God knows what we need. And even when that doesn't come in the way we want, he's working in the midst of that to provide and to fulfill his will in our lives and in our hearts. And many people don't see those benefits of all these things because they're coming in eternity and not immediate relief. And so what do we do? When we know what to give and we get that nudge that God's calling us to give, but we're, we've been burnt. You know, I'd say simply that if you feel the nudge, if you feel it on your heart, in most cases, do it. And the reality is the negative experiences are just a tiny percentage of the opportunities we have to bless others and to be generous to them. And instead of refusing to give, I encourage you to work on your discernment muscles. Uh, ask questions. Learn about people's stories. If you're still skeptical, check with another believer. Just say, hey, what do you think I should do in this circumstance? Pray about it. Um, you know what? Without the risk of being let down, you're going to miss the joy of giving to others. Because the giving to others and being generous, you know what? The more you do it, the more you find out it is worth it. Last week we talked about this grand story of generosity, the Good Samaritan. If you weren't here, you know the story. The, the priest and the Levite walked by the injured, injured man, but the Samaritan at least likely came and showed generosity, a full orb generosity, caring for him, giving his possessions, his attention, uh, using his influence, and, and giving his word. He'd come back and cover any extra expenses. And... Uh, Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, when speaking of this famous passage, said, you know what? No one would remember this good Samaritan if he'd only had good intentions. He happened to have a little bit of money as well. And uh, her point was, you know, sometimes you do have to give out of your own pocket to make a difference. And yet Jesus, in this very passage, one of the things he talks about the most, uh, 11 out of his Forty parables, uh, or 30, I think it's 30, 11 out of his parables spoke and speak about the impact of money on our hearts. And he says, you cannot serve God and money. Money itself is not this evil thing, but what it can do to our hearts can change us and make it very hard for us to rely on God and to even enter the kingdom of God. And so this morning, as we look at this, we don't want to avoid this key issue in generosity in our lives. And one of the key issues that is spoken about, one of the top topics that's spoken about in all of the New Testament and the Old, is our relationship with our money. Because it's always been a focal point of societies. And so, if we avoid it, we can leave people stuck spiritually and frustrated. And if we overemphasize it, we can miss out on the gospel and turn people off from the Lord because we're too focused as a church on it. So we want to allow the scriptures to speak on it. And so as you turn to 2 Corinthians 
8 and 9, uh, I want to encourage you um, to think of two things, a couple principles that I've learned and was taught and I live by, just in general, um, for uh, trusting the Lord. And the first is God owns everything. (laughs) He owns me. He owns this world. He created it. Everything I own is a gift from God. Therefore, I'm a steward. I'm somebody who's called to take care of it and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Say, God, how would you have me use what you've given me? And it's different than what other people have. How would you have me use my thoughts? The influence I have in the world. The friends you've given me. The neighborhood you've placed me in. The time I have. Our most limited resource is time. And in regards to money management, it's pretty simple. Give to the Lord first. If you can, save or pay off debt. And then the rest is just pray show how you're going to live on it, make a budget and live and enjoy part of the life he's given us here on earth. But when we do this, our hearts are freed, free to be generous and freed to trust in the Lord. And so in this unique passage, Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is writing to the Corinthian church. And he's giving them this encouragement uh, to join in this act of generosity. There's a need within the overall church body, and he's saying, I want you to join in meeting the need of these other churches and these other believers who are not in your town, but we know that they have a great need. And as he begins to to lay this out, we find key principles that guide giving and give us a new covenant, New Testament point of view. And often we can get caught up in the the debate, and some people do, of just is a tithe 10%, is it not? Is that still binding? Is it not binding? It's like, well, you don't want to follow all the Old Testament because they just started with 10%, but then they had a lot of other giving where it was over 20% that they actually ended up giving by the end of the year, and depending on what uh, field they were in and if they grew crops. And so it can be pretty confusing to look at these kind of things, but it's a great place to start. In light of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, how do we pursue giving ourselves fully to the Lord? So he's talking here in chapter 8 to these churches of Macedonia. He's talking about them. And he says, we want you to know about them. They are in a severe test of affliction, but their abundance of joy and combined with their extreme poverty, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. For they gave according to their means, and that can testify beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this is not what we expected. But they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. So first off, they, they sought the kingdom of God first. They said, Lord, what would you have us do? We are yours. All we have is yours. And they're in the midst of a big struggle. And yet, when they went to the Lord, he put on their hearts to give and to give sacrificially. And so they collected and they gave towards this need. And then Paul goes on in verse 7. He says, so therefore, I want you to, as a church, to consider excelling in everything, in your faith, in your speech, in your knowledge, in all earnestness, in, uh, in love, and see to it that you also excel in this act of the grace of giving. 
And I like how he says it's the grace of giving because uh, giving is really the idea of grace, right? It's something you get that you didn't deserve. It's an unexpected gift. God says you're saved by grace, not by works. And so the grace of giving is giving out of our hearts, uh, not because somebody deserves it, but because we understand what happened on the cross. And so he begins to walk through here and commends them and, and, and gives some more details, you know, about giving and about what it's all about. And he says in verse 8 of chapter 8, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. Well, once again, Paul appeals, not on the basis of his authority or some law that they have to command. He's just saying, I want to see your hearts in this. So go before the Lord and let me know what you're going to do. And so he's getting on them. Maybe, I don't know the full background here. Maybe he knew that they struggled in this area and it's going to be hard for them to give. Um, and maybe he was just challenged by that. Let's see, as we move on to chapter 9 to point out a few verses, um, he says this um, in verse 5. He says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. So they may have said something earlier on and said, Oh yeah, we're, we're, we're good to go. And then he comes to them and says, uh, make sure you plan it out. Think in advance. So often I think our giving with the Lord, if we think of him last, it's the hardest for me. If I go through everything I need to live on and I think, oh Lord, what do you need? Or I don't know if I can give to this need or sponsor a child or whatever the case may be. But if we stop and we go, Lord, and, and talk to him first and look at him first and what he's called us to do first and plan ahead, that helps our hearts with this challenge. And, and as we walk through this, we realize ultimately the scriptures teach us that money and life and generosity is always a heart issue between us and the Lord. Um, it's very rarely a budget issue. It's a heart issue because God isn't looking at the amount. He cares about the heart behind it, which is why he says each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And that's whether we're donating to a cause, helping the poor, meeting somebody's needs, or giving in church. He loves a cheerful giver. And that's not just with our money, but with our time and our influence and our spiritual gifts as we bless one another. We're to do it with this season of salt and light that is joyful and cheerful because we're serving the Lord and using and being stewards of what he's given us. You see, I like something in here that jumped out to me that I hadn't necessarily caught before. And it's because of the season of life that we're in. Paul here is telling a story about a church. Macedonia. He's talking about their giving. And that giving of that church he's using to inspire the giving of another church. And I thought of us. I thought we have eight churches who supported us from the beginning of Incline. Five who continue to give consistently. And that inspires me 
Churches who I know have needs, some who I know are either above or below budget, but they made us a part of it. And they want to give to another church. Four of those churches are in the same city giving to us. One is within two miles of us. One is within two and a half. And they want to support our ministry. Doesn't that inspire you that other churches are behind our kingdom work here? It's humbling to me to see the body of Christ coming and working together. And then I sit back and I think, just three years ago, we were 0% self-funding. I guess you could give a little percentage because uh, uh, we gave to our own mission. But then we moved to about 25% inside and 75% outside supported. Now, we're at 75% self-supporting and just those few churches remain, and we're just within grasp. I was meeting with our district superintendent this week, got back from sabbatical, and I was like, we can see it. Before we couldn't see it, but now we're almost there to self-sustaining. Isn't that amazing? Thank you all for your generosity. Thank you all for giving so that this can happen. And we're just about what, $1,800 to $2,000 a month, and then we're there. Isn't that amazing? You know, and even yesterday as I'm doing this, and I'm going to ask Christmas season, I God put this on my heart to talk about this. It can be awkward. What if we have guests? <laughs> and it just came down, and I was writing this down yesterday, and I was like, my challenge is this. Simply pray. Consider making incline the primary place you give. I believe that the local church, and you even see it in the scripture, is the primary giving place. All right, we branched out in our culture, but... The church where you serve and meets your community. And then we're called as a church to give beyond ourselves. And to give beyond what God has called us to do. Um, with our own church. But to give to other churches. So we've given to missionaries. And to um, Care Portal. And last year we collected and blessed three families through our Care Portal Christmas. This year we're adopting a family. And so we decided it doesn't matter if we're ahead budget or behind budget, we want to be a church that gives and lives out generosity and this value that we have. But even yesterday as I was writing this and saying, okay, just make a plan, be as generous as you can in 2020, I got a phone call, unexpected, from California. And uh, this man who, uh, not a regular supporter of Incline, but uh, we hadn't even sent out a Christmas letter or an email, and he said, you know, over the last few weeks, incline has been on my mind. I want to know how you guys are doing. So I just gave him an update and kind of told him about the cool things going on and with the school and different lives and, and people coming to know the Lord this year. And, and he said, well, uh, we've been in between churches for several months and we're just going to send all of our tithe and giving to incline at Christmas. And I was just like, what? You just thought of us? He's like, yeah, well, I just was praying and God kept bringing you guys to mind as I was praying. And I was just like, God, you got this. <laughs> You're so much bigger than me. He prompts people at random times to think of our little church in Colorado. Isn't that amazing how God does that? And gave me just that little gift of saying, okay, Kevin, trust in me. It's not about you. <laughs> I've got this. And if it's my work, I'll provide for it when I'm ready and through whom I'm ready to provide through so praise God for that. I just wanted to share that with you so that you don't lose heart because God can do that and sometimes we don't see him in the midst of things. Yet he's working in ways we can't even fathom within his kingdom and his family. And so 
as we look at this, and uh, Paul moves on and he plants churches and he encourages them to help them understand giving and leadership. And at the end of his ministry in Acts 20, he's having kind of this last farewell. He, he senses, he knows what the path God has him on. Um, and it's not going to end well. And so he's telling the uh, elders from Ephesus, he says this, he says, I commit to you God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He says, I've not co coveted anyone's silver or gold or even clothing. Yourselves, you know that. These hands of mine have supplied my own need. He was a tent maker. And he said, we work to supply the needs of my companions when I was with you. In everything I did, I showed you this by hard work, that we must even help the weak when we don't have. And he says, remember this. Jesus himself said it. Uh, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Do we believe that? Do we believe it is more blessed to give to others than to receive? Now, some of you say yes, because some of you have a hard time receiving. <laughs> but remember, if you're one of those who likes to deny the gift, don't steal the joy from someone else that God has asked to be generous. That was one of the biggest hurdles Rachel and I had to overcome being so many years into ministry and asked to go and raise money for starting a church. And we're like, we don't want to ask. And then one of my leaders said, how dare you rob people of the opportunity to obey what God's put on their hearts? You just share the need and let God do it. And don't try and do it all on your own. Well, you know, Matt, the University of Notre Dame put some money to good use since you went there. They spent $5 million doing a study on the human brain and giving. And here's their results. They discovered two main things. First, we're designed to give. Second, the brain should be giving actively to receive the best benefit. When we give, our brains produce oxytocin, a powerful hormone linked to empathy and generosity, and it produces a feeling of connection with others. And it goes on to say they, they study different benefits of giving. That it helps against stress. And uh, people are more happy when they have a habit of giving and being generous. And that actually, people, our bodies and minds have a better response to giving. And think about seeing your kid or somebody you care about open that gift. And when they love it, how good that feels. That feels better than getting our favorite gift and opening it ourselves. That's what the studies tell us. Why do I share this? Um, well, I share this because I think it's pretty cool that Jesus designed us in a way that when we do something good for others, something happens in our brains that wants us to repeat that action. Let us not forget that we're designed by God. When we discover these things, we're discovering how God wired us. And so it's not some new scientific fact. It's just backing up the teaching of the Bible and the teaching of Jesus Christ. It is better to give than receive. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. And when we overcome that hurdle in the throne of our hearts, we're released to generosity in all areas of life. You know, we're in an area of, of quite a bit of distraction. What would it look like this week if you gave somebody unexpectedly or anyone you talked to your full attention, eyes locked in, phone down, and just 
really cared and showed that you valued what they were saying? What difference would that make to them to have a moment where they just got some attention? And so what are some other ways to start living generously now? Well, you can look, maybe at school, you guys can look for someone who's sitting alone. Go and sit by him. Give a genuine compliment to somebody for doing good work, for doing something, a real, exact, specific compliment. Pray for somebody or pray with someone who's having a bad day or if they're sharing with you about something that's going bad, just say, hey, can we pray for that a moment? May I pray for you? Help somebody carry their groceries or bags out to their car. Volunteer at a place where you can make a difference, but do it because you want to. Um, Maybe you could be kind with your words to friends, peers, and siblings, and parents, and grandparents. Maybe you could give uh, the mail carrier, um, or a public service worker, or maybe your trash guy, leave a little gift for them, a little note thanking them for what they do. You could go up and shake the hand of a police officer or a fireman or in our town, a serviceman or woman in uniform and just say thank you for serving. Look them right in the eye and say thank you for doing that for us. You know, maybe it's just as simple as opening the door for somebody or letting somebody in in traffic or somebody go first ahead of you in line in the store. And on the year 2000, a movie was released Helen Hunt, Haley Joe Osmond called Pay It Forward. Right? And the social study teacher challenged his students to do something that would change the world. And so this little boy did something and he did, it said, don't pay me back, just pay it forward. And as this movie goes on, there's this ripple effect of, uh, and it all comes full circle to bless his family and it spreads across the country, this pay it forward movement. And it comes together perfectly. Why? Because it's a movie. But um, it's a thing that we can begin to do. And we can begin to look at others um, and bless them. Whether it's anonymously or whether it's face to face. And so uh, we've, as I shared earlier, had people that have blessed Incline. We have people who sell things and say, I want to give the money to Incline. We have people who just pray and want to give towards this work to help us sustain ministry. We have opportunities in this community. And so I thought, why not have the opportunity for us to see that generous is contagious because it blesses us, the giver, and the receiver. And so this is pay it forward week at Incline because somebody decided to sell something and give the money to Incline. I thought, let's pay it forward. And so this week, you're going to have the opportunity to prayerfully consider how to give to someone else. So you will either have a $10 Amazon Prime gift card to give to someone else, and you can give it, you can give it anonymously. You can give it with an invitation to Christmas Eve. Um, You can give it with a note of encouragement. Uh, Pray and seek the Lord, and then seek an opportunity to give. Or uh, we have $5 Starbucks gift cards that you can pass on. And so pray about it and how God wants you to use it, and then pay it forward. And if you do me a favor, if you have a story of it going well, it going bad, it going happy, or it going sad, 
Share that with me, and I'd love to be able to share some of these stories next week as we look at this, and, and we trust in the Lord for what he's going to do. So you can take kind of one per household, and then we have extra, we can kind of pass it on, and so siblings don't fight over it, but you know, go on and pass it around. Um, and so as we think about that, <laughs> we have a God who gave us everything in his son, Jesus Christ. How can we not be a people who gives open-handedly and trusts the Lord in all of our our circumstances and relies on him um, and feels that joy within our hearts of giving to others? Uh, I'd encourage you to do that. Make it a a habit in your life. And so uh, let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, as we go out from here and we just give of ourselves, our time, and we start thinking about others in our lives and cultivate that habit, I pray that you would use these small gifts that we're going to give to encourage somebody. Maybe it'll hit somebody who just needed to hear it at that right moment, that right time, and just lift their spirits just a little bit. Maybe our hearts need to do it anonymously, or maybe we need to just write a note that goes along with it, but we trust your Holy Spirit to guide us. And Lord... Whatever you have in store for Incline, we just thank you and praise you for what you provided and the amazing ways that people in here and around the country are generous. And I thank you for a faith church, Northview Church, for Austin Blust Evangelical Free Church, for Cathedral Rock Church, Lord, for their support and love for us within this own city, demonstrating kingdom partnerships and seeking first the kingdom of God. May you bless them this Christmas season with people they can reach for Christ. And Lord, finally, I pray that you would bring people through these doors that need to hear the gospel over our next two services. I pray that on Christmas Eve, people in this community who maybe don't have a place to go would come in and would hear the truth about you, the truth that you provide for us for eternity through the gift of your Son who came down in a lowly manger and lived a life of blessing others and who told us it is more blessed to give than to receive. And Lord, we thank you that we're the ones who get to receive eternal life because you gave everything through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand with us as we sing.